Chapter Twenty One of Characters of Shakespeare's Plays by William Hazlitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nemo and Eva Davis. King John. King John is the last of the historical plays we shall have to speak of, and we are not sorry that it is. If we are to indulge our imaginations, we had rather do it upon an imaginary theme. If we are to find subjects for the exercise of our pity and terror, we prefer seeking them in fictitious danger and fictitious distress. It gives a soreness to our feelings of indignation or sympathy when we know that in tracing the progress of sufferings and crimes we are treading upon real ground and recollect that the poet's dream denoted a foregone conclusion irrevocable ills not conjured up by fancy but placed beyond the reach of poetical justice that the treachery of king john the death of arthur the grief of constance had a real truth in history sharpens the sense of pain while it hangs a leaden weight on the heart and the imagination something whispers us that we have no right to make a mock of calamities like these or to turn the truth of things into the puppet and plaything of our fancies to consider thus may be to consider too curiously but still we think that the actual truth of the particular events in proportion as we are conscious of it is a drawback on the pleasure as well as the dignity of tragedy king john has all the beauties of language and all the richness of the imagination to relieve the painfulness of the subject the character of king john himself is kept pretty much in the background it is only marked in by comparatively slight indications the crimes he is tempted to commit are such as are thrust upon him rather by circumstances and opportunity than of his own seeking he is here represented as more cowardly than cruel and as more contemptible than odious the play embraces only a part of his history there are however few characters on the stage that excite more disgust and loathing he has no intellectual grandeur or strength of character to shield him from the indignation which his immediate conduct provokes he stands naked and defenceless in that respect to the worst we can think of him and besides we are impelled to put the very worst construction on his meanness and cruelty by the tender picture of the beauty and helplessness of the object of it as well as by the frantic and heart-rending pleadings of maternal despair we do not forgive him the death of arthur because he had too late revoked his doom and tried to prevent it and perhaps because he has himself repented of his black design our moral sense gains courage to hate him the more for it we take him at his word and think his purposes must be odious indeed when he himself shrinks back from them the scene in which king john suggests to hubert the design of murdering his nephew is a masterpiece of dramatic skill but it is still inferior very inferior 
to the scene between hubert and arthur when the latter learns the orders to put out his eyes if anything ever was penned heart-piercing mixing the extremes of terror and pity of that which shocks and that which soothes the mind it is this scene we will give it entire though perhaps it is tasking the reader's sympathy too much enter hubert and executioner hubert heat me those irons hot and look you stand within the arras when i strike my foot upon the bosom of the ground rush forth and bind the boy which you shall find with me fast to the chair be heedful hence and watch executioner i hope your warrant will bear out the deed hubert uncleanly scruples fear not you look to it young lad come forth i have to say with you enter arthur arthur good morrow hubert hubert morrow little prince arthur as little prince having so great a title to be more prince as may be you are sad hubert indeed i have been merrier arthur mercy on me methinks nobody should be sad but i yet i remember when i was in france young gentlemen would be as sad as night only for wantonness by my christendom so were i out of prison and kept sheep i should be merry as the day is long and so i would be here but that i doubt my uncle practices more harm to me he is afraid of me and i of him is it my fault that i was geoffrey's son indeed it is not and i would to heaven i were your son so you would love me hubert hubert if i talk to him with his innocent prate he will awake my mercy which lies dead therefore i will be sudden and dispatch aside arthur are you sick hubert you look pale to-day in sooth i would you were a little sick that i might sit all night and watch with you alas i love you more than you do me hubert his words do take possession of my bosom read here young arthur showing a paper how now foolish room aside turning this piteous torture out of door i must be brief lest resolution drop out at mine eyes and tender womanish tears can you not read it is it not fair writ arthur too fairly hubert for so foul a fact must you with irons burn out both mine eyes hubert young boy i must arthur and will you hubert and i will arthur have you the heart when your head did but ache i knit my handkerchief about your brows the best i had a princess wrought it to me and i did never ask it you again 
and with my hand at midnight held your head and like the watchful minutes to the hour still and anon cheered up the heavy time saying what lack you and where lies your grief or what good love may i perform for you many a poor man's son would have lain still and ne'er have spoke a loving word to you but you at your sick service had a prince nay you may think my love was a crafty love and call it cunning do and if you will if heaven be pleased that you must use me ill why then you must will you put out mine eyes these eyes that never did and never shall so much as frown on you hubert i've sworn to do it and with hot irons must i burn them out arthur oh if an angel should have come to me and told me hubert should put out mine eyes i would not have believed a tongue but hubert's hubert come forth do as i bid you stamps and the men enter arthur oh save me hubert save me my eyes are out even with the fierce looks of these bloody men hubert give me the iron i say and bind him here arthur alas what need you be so boisterous rough i will not struggle i will stand stone still for heaven's sake hubert let me not be bound nay hear me hubert drive these men away and i will sit as quiet as a lamb i will not stir nor wince nor speak a word nor look upon the iron angrily thrust but these men away and i'll forgive you whatever torment you do put me to hubert go stand within and let me alone with him executioner i am best pleased to be from such a deed exit arthur alas i then have chid away my friend he hath a stern look but a gentle heart let him come back that his compassion may give life to yours hubert come boy prepare yourself arthur is there no remedy hubert none but to lose your eyes arthur oh heaven that there were but a mote in yours a grain a dust a gnat a wandering hair any annoyance in that precious sense then feeling what small things are boisterous there your vile intent must needs seem horrible hubert is this your promise go to hold your tongue arthur let me not hold my tongue let me not hubert or hubert if you will cut out my tongue so i may keep mine eyes oh spare mine eyes though to no use but still to look on you lo by my troth the instrument is cold and would not harm me hubert i can heed it boy arthur no in good sooth the fire is dead with grief being create for comfort to be used 
in undeserved extremes see else yourself there is no malice in this burning coal the breath of heaven hath blown its spirit out and strewed repentant ashes on its head hubert but with my breath i can revive it boy arthur all things that you shall use to do me wrong deny their office only you do lack that mercy which fierce fire and iron extend creatures of note for mercy lacking uses hubert well see to live i will not touch thine eyes for all the treasure that thine uncle owns yet i am sworn and i did purpose boy with the same very iron to burn them out arthur oh now you look like hubert all this while you were disguised hubert peace no more adieu your uncle must not know but you are dead i'll fill these dogs spies with false reports and pretty child sleep doubtless and secure that hubert for the wealth of all the world will not offend thee arthur oh heaven i thank you hubert hubert silence no more go closely in with me much danger do i undergo for thee exit his death afterwards when he throws himself from his prison walls excites the utmost pity for his innocence and friendless situation and while justifies the exaggerated denunciations of falconbridge to hubert whom he suspects wrongfully of the deed there is not yet so ugly a fiend of hell as thou shalt be if thou didst kill this child if thou didst but consent to this most cruel act do but despair and if thou wants a cord the smallest thread that ever spider twisted from her womb will strangle thee a rush will be a beam to hang thee on or wouldst thou drown thyself but put a little water in a spoon and it shall be as all the ocean enough to stifle such a villain up the excess of maternal tenderness rendered desperate by the fickleness of friends and the injustice of fortune and made stronger in will in proportion to the want of all other power was never more finely expressed than in constance the dignity of her answer to king philip when she refuses to accompany his messenger to me and to the state of my great grief let kings assemble her indignant reproach to austria for deserting her cause her invocation to death that love of misery however fine and spirited all yield to the beauty of the passage where her passion subsiding into tenderness she addresses the cardinal in these words oh father cardinal i have heard you say that we shall see and know our friends in heaven if that be true i shall see my boy again for since the birth of cain the first male child to him that did but yesterday suspire there was not such a gracious creature born but now will canker sorrow eat my bud and chase the native beauty from his cheek 
and he will look as hollow as a ghost, as dim and meagre as an Aggie's fit. And so he'll die, and rising so again, when I shall meet him in the court of heaven, I shall not know him. Therefore never, never must I behold my pretty Arthur more. King Philip You are as fond of grief as of your child. Constance Grief fills the room up of my absent child, lies in his bed, walks up and down with me, puts on his pretty looks, repeats his words, remembers me of all his gracious parts, stuffs out his vacant garments with his form. Then have I reason to be fond of grief. The contrast between the mild resignation of Queen Catherine to her own wrongs and the wild, uncontrollable affliction of Constance for the wrongs which she sustains as a mother is no less naturally conceived than it is ably sustained throughout these two wonderful characters. The accompaniment of the comic character of the bastard was well chosen to relieve the poignant agony of suffering and the cold, cowardly policy of behavior in the principal characters of this play. Its spirit, invention, volubility of tongue, and forwardness in action are unbounded. Aliquando sufflamenandis erat, says Ben Jonson of Shakespeare, but we should be sorry if Ben Jonson had been his licenser. We prefer the heedless magnanimity of his wit infinitely to all Johnson's laborious caution. The character of the bastard's comic humor is the same in essence as that of other comic characters in Shakespeare. They always run on with good things and are never exhausted. They are always daring and successful. They have words at will and a flow of wit, like a flow of animal spirits. The difference between Falconbridge and the others is that he is a soldier and brings his wit to bear upon action is courageous with his sword as well as tongue and stimulates his gallantry by his jokes his enemies feeling the sharpness of his blows and the sting of his sarcasms at the same time among his happiest sallies are his descanting on the composition of his own person his invective against commodity tickling commodity and his expression of contempt for the Archduke of Austria, who had killed his father, which begins in jest but ends in serious earnest. His conduct at the siege of Angiers shows that his resources were not confined to verbal retorts. The same exposure of the policy of courts and camps, of kings, nobles, priests, and cardinals, takes place here as in the other plays we have gone through, and we shall not go into a disgusting repetition. This, like the other plays taken from English history, is written in a remarkably smooth and flowing style, very different from some of the tragedies, Macbeth, for instance. The passages consist of a series of single lines, not running into one another. This peculiarity in the versification, which is most common in the three parts of Henry the Sixth has been assigned as a reason why those plays were not written by Shakespeare. But the same structure of verse occurs in his other undoubted plays, as in Richard II and in King John. The following are instances. 
that daughter there of spain the lady blanche is near to england look upon the years of lewis to the dauphin and that lovely maid if lusty love should go in quest of beauty where should he find it fairer than in blanche if zealous love should go in search of virtue where should he find it purer than in blanche if love ambitious sought a match of birth whose veins bound richer blood than lady blanche such as she is in beauty virtue birth is the young dauphin every way complete if not complete of say he is not she and she again wants nothing to name want if want it be not that she is not he he is the half-part of a blessed man left to be finished by such as she and she a fair divided excellence whose fullness of perfection lies in him oh two such silver currents when they join do glorify the banks that bound them in when two such shores to two such streams made one to such controlling bounds shall you be kings to these two princes if you marry them another instance which is certainly very happy as an example of the simple enumeration of a number of particulars is salisbury's remonstrance against the second crowning of the king therefore to be possessed with double pomp to guard a title that was rich before to gild refined gold to paint the lily to throw a perfume on the violet to smooth the ice to add another hue unto the rainbow or with taper light to seek the beauteous eye of heaven to garnish is wasteful and ridiculous excess end of king john